Hey everybody, um, Friday, the 11th of March, got through another week, they're still fighting in Ukraine. Uh, now, you know, I'm going to go through a bunch of different scenarios here and stuff, That there's a guy that I kind of think knows what he's talking about, and he's basically thinking eventually the Russians are going to wear down the Ukrainians, he thinks then there'll be some partisan fighting in that. He thinks the West was a little bit too late, too little on getting extra stuff to them. Uh, other people I hear say, "Man, eh, maybe not." You know, uh, you know the 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 Afghani's didn't start resisting the Russians until I mean they they started resisting the Russians from day one, but it wasn't until we really gave them things that could knock down helicopters, helicopters more than airplanes that that put put the the Kaidas to the Russians and that we're providing that to the Ukrainians right now but what I want to talk to today about is a two-sector world for trade uh, and, and a lot of this gets tied up into everything that's going to happen how it settles out you know what you do for sanctions when it is over because it because it, it you know whether it's whether it's a day from now or uh, six years from now it will be over. It will be over at some point in time. Um, now, Putin Putin says he's going to restrict commodities, grains, fertilizer, fuels to only countries that basically play along with him. You know, we got the sanctions by the West, and, and a lot of those are economic sanctions. But Putin is going to try to carve out his own trading block. And being a resource-rich country like he is in a time of high price resources... And, you know, I look back on it, you know, when when uh, the Soviet Union went down and you brought a lot of Western investment into Ukraine, uh, some into Russia, you, and you had Russian oligarchs that, you know, uh, brought in outside help to, to farm this ground in, in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, and you had, you know, farmers from, um, you know, the Netherlands, the Dutch, you know, you, you had some from... You know, Eastern and Western Europe that that moved in there, and other people hired, you know, quote unquote experts, and um, you know, it's kind of kept a damper on commodity prices for quite a while. Well, that's kind of going away. I mean, you know, sanctions—the the sanctions of the West on you know countries like Russia, but also these sanctions are biting on other countries. And, and I'll use Egypt for an example. Egypt got you know, almost all of its grain out of the Black Sea area. They got it from Ukraine and Russia. It's cheap transportation. They are buying it cheaper. Uh, Egypt was keeping their population, which is a pretty large population, keeping them happy with cheaper food. And that all went away. And so a country like Egypt's, you know, they're going to have to basically choose if Putin and the Chinese, and it looks like India is kind of going along for the ride, um, try to come up with another, what I call, world trading sector. You know, right now you kind of have the Western trading model, which, you know, everything's pretty much uh, based on, um, you know, free trade. I mean, it's not free. There's tariffs. There's all this other kind of stuff, but somewhat free trade. You have all these futures exchanges and stock exchanges and the futures exchange, basically, where you can hedge and lay off risk. Um, 
And I think there's a big chunk of the world that's going to try to carve out kind of a state-directed, state-controlled, the communists win um, trading block. You know, the, the surge in the commodity price, it makes it possible to leave the current Western rules on trading. So I think there's going to be far more volatility, and I think some of the volatility can be, for, for lack of a better term, violent going forward. I think up and down. Um, you know, and, and, and this, this, you know, with Putin shutting off the fertilizer and everything else, and, and not only the United States, but especially Brazil gets so much of their fertilizer out of Russia and Belarus. You know, and, and depends on how hard China joins that trading block. I think China is going to try to play both ends against the middle and, and be have a foot in, quote-unquote, both worlds. And they may have to. They may have to still get stuff from the United States. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, exactly at the end of the day where Brazil ends on all this. But, you know, the big question I got right now, can U.S. farmers get the fertilizer chemicals, and a lot of those chemicals are made in China, to produce a crop? Not the 2022. I'm not worried about it. everybody's worried about 20. It's 2023, and we all know that the lead times you know, you have to be making stuff for 2023 and 2022 to get it shipped in here. Uh, you know, you know, and, and the question is now with Russia and, and Ukraine somewhat taken out of the equation. But, but specifically Russia, um, do the government-controlled century plan economies need U.S. production? Well, right now they do. But down the road, if this war gets over and Ukraine and Russia crank up production, some of these countries, you know, is the United States going to be left holding the surplus bag again? You know, and, and we look at, you know, if, if, if Putin... And, you know, Belarus and maybe, what, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, China and India. And China and India are the key here. Along with, you know, Miramar. I mean, throw some other countries in there. Uh, you know, you, you say, well, they come up with this, this, this second sector of trading or kind of trading block. Well, that's rewiring all the trade flows. But, you know, when President Trump put the tariffs on the Chinese and the Chinese went and basically replaced a lot of the soybeans and stuff they were buying from us with stuff from Brazil. But then people who had been buying it from Brazil bought it from the United States. I know in two years in a row, USDA missed what the ending stocks was going to be by quite a lot. You know, they had huge ending stocks because we weren't going to be selling anything to China. But, you know, you get the price priced right. And you get things reconfigured, and once stuff gets on a ship, it's easy to send that ship anywhere around the globe, and these ships are so large and big anymore. Uh, you were watching the trade get rewired dur during, during you know, before the pandemic when Trump was doing the tariff stuff. Uh, you know, price moves and purchasing habits can change. Uh, and, and so maybe... The pattern of what's going to happen has kind of been showed to us when that went on. Now, let's talk about some of the other things happening here. You know, there's this Chinese tycoon that's facing, from what I can read, $8 billion 
of margin calls in the London Mercantile Exchange, which, by the way, is no longer in London. It's in Hong Kong, and it's owned by Hong Kong, I guess. Because nickel got up to $100,000 a ton. Um, now, now the, 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 the London Mercantile Exchange in Hong Kong is shut down for now. It's shut down. Um, it's shut down because he can't make the margin call. And there's people on the other side of this trade that are expecting their money. And, and he says he's still going to short the thing. And, and, and I guess what his problem is, is he is a huge steel producer, especially stainless steel. You know, you add nickel to, to iron and steel to make other kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, nickel's used in, in a lot of these. I think it's a hardener. I think it makes the, the steel stronger. And I think, I think actually, and, and I could be wrong, I'm not an expert on this, that they put nickel in it to make stainless steel. I mean, you know, these, 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 these uh, foundries, you know, they, they can make a whole lot of stuff knowing what they're doing. But this Chinese tycoon, he was buying, I guess, the nickel from Russia and he wanted to hedge it, sell it off on the exchange. But as the price kept going up, you know, he got faced with these huge margin calls. But here's the thing, and, and we've seen grain elevators kind of get into trouble in, 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 what was it, 12 when prices went big. I think most of them have got a line of credit and they're, they're in better shape or, or they've been consolidated up where they can hedge it off. The... Um, you know, as the price goes up, okay, you, you buy corn for $5 a bushel and the elevator hedges it. Not a problem if it only goes to 6 or 7 because you only got a couple bucks a bushel in it. What happens if that corn goes $10 a bushel? The bank's now got as much money in the hedging as what the corn was worth when they bought it. Now, on the, on the other side, you know, the elevator can sell the cash grain, collect the $10, unwind out of the trade... Uh, yeah, they lose the five that they had on margin, but they make you know, you know the original, the original, you know they sell at ten, they lose five, and they bought it for five, and everything's fine. It's ten to ten. Well, and and a lot of people in the in the in the non trading agriculture non commodity world don't understand that hedging. Of course, I still say the worst thing we ever do is let oil go negative like it did. I get it. They didn't want to. They did not want the oil in Cushing. So let's push up the price high enough that we don't get the oil to come into Cushing. But there is, you know, it's like the movie The Big Short. I, I look at how they just kind of left Lehman Brothers in just this massive mess. And there is something called bankruptcy laws, and I think there is a role for the federal government to step in and and. Do some managing of these bankruptcies, these managing of these blowing up of these companies. And, you know, at least I was told there are some trades that if you'd have kept them around for 10 years, they would have been good. They were underwater at the current time. And since they just let it blow up, they lost money on them. And that, that's where you step in and help out. But how do you hedge if the exchanges are closed? And and with a with a dual trading sector block who know, who knows how the chinese and putin are going to set this thing up uh, you know putin is going to be centrally planned it's going to be this is the price i mean it's it's going to be cuz he's he, at the end of the day he's a communist
but you know, you know, I've I've always said this before, you know, and and I think we've seen this with the futures price jumping up, and these grain elevators switching, you know, from the May to the July contract. It was because they couldn't ship it till summer. They had bought stuff, and they needed to they needed to to roll that out into a more futures position, uh, i.e., the July contract, and and. Okay, so they started bidding off the July, and it upset a lot of farmers because, you know, the July corn was well under the May corn. But the elevator could have just – they could have kept bidding on the May and just expanded the basis by 30 to $0.50. Cents. Um, but, you know, it, it, this may be for – part of the world, and I'm not saying the United States, I'm not saying the, the European Union, but, you know, we kind of let markets go where markets go. We kind of let trade flow where trade flows. Um, you know, if you outbid the neighbor, you get to buy it. And, you know, I mean, that that's kind of what we got. And, and we may be going to state-controlled capitalism. For part of the world, and that's kind of where China is anyway. And I think Putin would rather be in that state-controlled capitalism, where the state controls it, versus you know just free and easy and let the markets go, because he's not a free and easy let the market go type of guy. I think we're in uncharted waters right now, and and I and all of our sanctions may be hurrying this along quicker than you think, because Russia's got stuff to sell, and. You know, and if you say, well, that's not going on. Yes, it is. It's going on right now because Iran's selling oil to China and they're doing things like stopping ships in the middle of the ocean, turning off their transponders, which is how you track these ships and, and transferring oil from ship to ship. I mean, there's all kinds of games being played with Iranian oil. And, you know, if if you got a willing buyer and you price your product down far enough, people will figure out a way to get it to move. You know, and, and I tell you what, part of this, and I've said this before, you know, this just-in-time supply chain, you know, because the bean counters got a hold of everything, the accountants got a hold of everything, and they don't manage, they just count. And, and I've also said, too, you know, the world, except China, now China's got, you know, state-controlled stocks and reserves, but a vast majority of the world... Uh, they didn't store grain. They depended on the producers, i.e. the United States, to store the grain for them. And it's burning them right now. Now, now I feel sorry for poor old Lebanon because they had that grain elevator blow up where they had a whole bunch of wheat, and they don't have much wheat in that country. Of course, I'm wondering, you know, you had an elevator that was next to possibly a rocket factory or other stuff going on, and, and why have just one grain elevator? I know it's a small country, but, you know, I'd want... Four, five, six, seven, eight places kind of disperse it. Plus, you know, Lebanon, talking about a place where things blow up all the time, where there's bombing going on, you know, spread that stuff out. Um, you know, with the just-in-time supply and the, and the pandemic issues that's carried over, and now the fuel fertilizer parts, you know, computer chips, let's not forget about computer chips, nickel, aluminum, um... This two-sector world trade could be interesting because there's, you know, 
are we ready in this country to start putting mines down? Now, it looks like for some rare earth and some of this stuff going in these lithium batteries and that, we're going to. But yet, you know, are we going to open up hard rock mining for nickel in this country? You know, the not in my backyard people, the environmental agencies, the all the other rules that's going to get thrown at it. You know, there's a reason why all that stuff went offshore because it's dirty and not really great and wonderful to be in. Of course, at a hundred thousand dollars a ton for nickel, you can do a you can put up with a lot of rules and regulation to to do that. You know, you know and, and how does China play all this? And India. Because that's, you know, that, that, you know, you throw the two of them together along with, you know, Russia's got, Russia's got a small economy and, and a small amount of people, but it's got huge resources and a big land mass and nuclear weapons. But, you know, you, you kind of throw those actors that I've already talked about along with, you know, China and India and what you got 2 billion plus people. You know, and who knows who else would join that because every dictator would like to be, I think, state state control capitalism would appeal to him. Um and, and how how China plays this, you gotta remember China's got a long time, possibly, unless Russia just grinds the Ukrainians down and it's over. Um and, and there's been a few limited Ukrainian take backs and pushbacks over but, you know, in a vast majority of it, Russia's still grinding forward. And it looks like the lightning, the lightning conquest where the Ukrainian people welcome us with flowers in their gun barrels and singing Kumbaya didn't happen, which was plan A. And I'm thinking that a lot of the Russian generals figured plan A was never going to work. Putin probably thought it would because a typical dictator, he puts a bunch of yes men around him. Because if you're not a yes man, you end up a dead man. And, uh, you know, don't contradict or, or question the boss. Because boss, get rid of you and replace you at least with somebody else that will say yes. And now it looks like the Russians have went back to plan B, which is kind of how they did World War II. And they're just going to bomb the ever-living daylights out of everything, civilians and all. And then wait till they've hit it with a bunch of artillery and then move in. But there's so many scenarios on this. And like I said, you know, you look at the United States. You know, the United States was two years and three plus months getting into World War II. From when it started with the German invasion of Poland. But you have to remember there was, you know, you had the Japanese invading, you know, China. You know, you go back to, what, 37, they were fighting for Shanghai. In, like, 36, the Italians were taking on Ethiopia. I mean, just, uh, you know, it's kind of hard. And you even look at World War One. You know, you had two Balkan Wars in, what, 12 and 13 before it all blew up in 14. So there's a lot of things here. Russia gets bogged down. What then? Um... Russia gets bogged down, stays fighting. It makes them a little bit harder uh, to do a trading block. But, you know, Putin's like, we're going to cut off exports anyway. You know, you, you got other scenarios, and I'm just going to go through a whole bunch of them. Russia wins, but partisan guerrilla warfare, especially, you know, especially in urban, because it'll get more play, but rural areas, resistance by the Ukrainians. Now, Russia may just get a regime change in Ukraine. You know, they may get their special forces in there. 
you know, knock off a bunch of the Ukrainian politicians, put their people in there, and then it, then it's a domestic issue along with a foreign issue. Um, you know, maybe 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 there's a partition of uh, Ukraine. Russia keeps a chunk of it. You know, what does it look like? Who's running what? Don't know, but that's a possibility. You know, what if it spreads? Moldova, the Baltics, and Moldova, you know, there's already a breakaway republic there where the, where the Russians have got some soldiers. Um, that's part of the former Soviet Union, and it's not basically part of NATO, even though they're quickly trying to join the European Union. You know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, it spreads into Poland, Romania. You know, that, that, you know do we have World War III? Do we have economic World War III going on right now? I don't think we're totally there right now because chunks of Europe still has to have that Russian oil. So they're still going to try to figure a way out of this thing. Um, you know, no regime change in Russia, but pressure on the Russian government. Maybe enough people inside the government, enough oligarchs, whatever, pressure Putin and they withdraw. Don't think that's really going to happen. You know, Russian economic collapse. Now that could happen. Uh, does Russia go nuclear? You know, uh, you know, the, the 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 one guy that I listened to that that he he thinks Russia grinds out a devastating win, destroys Ukraine, destroys a lot of Ukrainian people. You know, region is devastated for two to five years. Then who's going to repair it? Who's going to fix it back? You know, I think that that the Putin probably likes the fact that a bunch of those Ukrainian people are leaving and going to Poland and every place else because then that becomes a burden on Eastern and Western Europeans and the United States to take care of all those displaced persons. And that gets rid of the Ukrainian nationalists that are more or less going to fight uh, him and who stayed behind but the ethnic Russians. You know, we, we, we got the, but there's the other option that Ukraine just surrenders. Now, one that, that, that was brought up to me and I find interesting. You know, maybe the Russian troops just quit in mass like they did in 1917. Maybe they take enough casualties. Maybe they get banged around enough. You know, or, or they do like the French troops did in 1916 when they mutinied. And basically they said, here's the deal. We'll defend anything. We'll defend France anywhere. We're not going to attack anymore. Um... You know that that's 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 a great possibility. You know, um, and most disasters come out of left field. This one here, though, really, in my opinion, didn't. Putin was telegraphing this thing months before he did it, and and, and don't think she didn't know about it and give his blessing because he told Putin to wait till after the Olympics, so he knew it was coming. You know, can 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 the Ukrainian people sustain the fight? Can Ukraine sustain the fight? You know, and, 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 and the West is waging an economic war on a resource-rich country. You know, and, and, and I, I have to look back at history because that's all I got to go on. You know, World War I, Britain imposed really big economic sanctions on Germany, and it probably made a German victory less likely. But, you know, Britain, England still had to fight Germany. And, and I think it really depends, too, on what China and India do. If they make a two-sector world trading system with Russia and design this thing and encourage it, if they start buying resources for cash, 
and like I said, China's been buying Iranian oil for years, if they start buying Russian resources for cash, India and China can prop up Putin in his war machine and keep economic collapse from getting the Russian people that upset. And um, it makes a whole new trading system where maybe China's the dominant player. You know, some people are just hoping Putin goes away, but I think that's unlikely just for the simple fact that I think the Russian security apparatus is in pretty good shape. And I also think weakness on the United States side is emboldened Putin. Sorry for you Biden likers out there, but, you know, when Biden says, you know, no first strike with nukes, we're just going to take that off the table. Well, that tells Putin, hey, we can push. And then there's been kind of these, well, we may not retaliate if Russia used a limited nuke strike, maybe. You know, and some people are saying that, you know, if Poland gets too close to helping Ukraine, that maybe Russia picks a small city just inside Poland and pops them. Of course, you'd get the radioactive fallout on Belarus and Russia, but what, you know, Putin would probably blame the West for doing it anyway. Now, I think one of the things that, that, that I think could be interesting in here, and this is why I think may, maybe China wins this whole thing in the long term and they get a, they get a dual sector trading system trying, trying to break the United States and the West's stranglehold on world trade. And what I mean by stranglehold, you know, the, the United States dollar is the supreme currency. China plays the peacemaker here. She becomes Teddy Roosevelt for the 19, what was it, 1904-1905 Russia-Japanese War. Teddy Roosevelt was the guy who sat the two sides down and, you know, banged out the peace plan. And and I'm hearing some rumblings that China, France, and Germany, and and France doesn't need um, the Russian energy near as much as Germany does, but you know the, 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 that Franco-German people, you know, kind of cousins. Yes, they fought a lot between each other, but you know, it's still kind of the same deal. Um, you know, China, along with them, plays peacemaker. China goes in with Russia and makes kind of another, another uh, double sector trading system, because we're going to try to keep ours going. Uh, Putin then sells to China cheap. China wins. And this is probably after maybe she had a hand in helping convince China to invade, or she allowing Putin to invade. And I know you're going to say, well, she, you know, if she told Putin not to do it, I don't think Putin would have. I think else what we're going to see, too, and, and this is what worries about me, on letting this thing go. Do we get a news cycle fatigue? I don't think so, but you never know with mainstream media. But the the other thing that I think we got to be, how does this get solved, is the economic damage that's been done to Ukraine. Who's going to pay to repair it? Wars cause inflation. And I talked earlier about all these displaced persons. You know, there was there there was a lot of there was a lot of Jewish people after World War II found their way to Palestine. 
found their way to the new country. Not a whole lot of them, but some. Some of them found their way to the United States. Um, some of those displaced people went back home to be then fall under the Iron Curtain of the Russians. Um, but who pays to repair all this damage, all these apartment buildings that are blown apart? I mean, um, and let's face it, a lot of those displaced persons are never coming back. And you know what? When the war's over, if their husbands aren't prisoners of the Russians or can get out, a lot of, a lot of those wives and children, their husbands are going to join them in the West. They're going to leave Ukraine. Um, and and then, then you get down to there's less people in Ukraine. It's easier if, if Putin wants to make another strike at them. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, you get into labor issues because a lot of stuff was made in Ukraine. How many of those factories are destroyed? Now, I think they maybe at the beginning the Russians did a pretty good job staying away from that. And and if and if Putin partitions it, you know he's going to take everything east of the Dnieper River. He's going to take Odessa. Uh, he he wants the whole Baltic coast. He wants all the ports. So you end up with a little landlocked country that's the poorest part of the country. That's got some economic stuff, but it's basically bordered by Moldova, Moldova Romania, Hungary, and I think the Czech Republic. Maybe a little bit of Poland. Maybe a little Belarus, too. You know, something a little less than half the size of Texas. Pretty big, but, you know, you take all those big, you know, centers out there. And let's face it, you know, Kiev, Kiev, you know, that was the big trading area that the Vikings, you know, came down the, the river and made that settlement there to trade with all the, the Turkish people. Middle Eastern people, people, you know, on the Silk Road, kind of. You know, they could then take their, you know, Viking ships down to the Black Sea and get stuff and bring it back up to to Kiev or Kiev. And, um, well, and I maybe talked about this earlier, you know, the, the, I think it was in 1362. That's when the Lithuanian king, and, and there used to be a big Lithuanian empire, uh, kingdom that, oh, by the way, controlled Moscow at one time. And then you kind of had this Polish-Lithuanian empire that was kind of together. Um, but the Lithuanians went down to Kiev in 1362 and took it away from the Mongols. Of course, why did they take it away from the Mongols? Well, the Mongols had a bunch of infighting amongst themselves, a bunch of factions, um, kind of civilization rot had settled in on the Mongols. You know, they were no longer the step horse archer fighters. Uh, they were arguing over who was going to run this, that, and the other, and who was the better bureaucrat. Um, wow. A little bit of par- parallels to the United States uh, empire. And yes, I'm calling it an empire because, it, you know, um, we, we, we were that. But, you know, do, do we end up, and, and to Putin with the dual trading system, you know, you're talking about a guy here who, you know, loved the Soviet Union, centrally controlled economy like the communists had. I just think there's a lot of parallels here. You know, I think he thinks he can put it together. She and, and, and I think India will trade with them because India needs the resources. I think if India thinks they can get it cheaper there than the West, they will. Oh. And, folks, in agriculture, this causes problems. 
because you're rewiring all the trade flows. And with the state-controlled things, uh, they're going to do everything in their power to try to shut the United States out of that ag trade. And that, my friends, causes trouble for us. And, and I know there's a cyclical due low or a low due the end of this year, beginning of 23. So maybe that tells you when this war is going to end. Um, there's a really big low due, depending on how you count now, in 26. And these are based off of calling the housing crisis in 1999 when oil got down to like $4 a barrel and gold dropped to what? $200 an ounce or something. Silver got to like $4 an ounce. That's counting 99 as the low in the 27-year cycle. Now, that 99-year low was supposed to show up, was supposed to show up in like 96, 97, but it didn't. So if you go off the original count and just say the 99 count was wrong, then you could come back and say the pandemic low was the low, and we don't have these lows out in front of us. It's all yet to be seen. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I just know that things cycle. And, and as, I, as I've told, told, I think you folks, and I've told people before, you know, there was three times before, this is the fourth, where the breadbasket of Europe, breadbasket of the world, has seen grain prices basically double. You know, World War I, World War II, and then the communist mismanagement of the 1960s and 70s. And everyone has been followed by a crash, which tells me this one's probably going to be followed by a crash. The one thing about it, you know, the Soviet mismanagement, and I'll say this and, 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 and then get off of here, just um, went long enough. My guess is that the Soviet Union would not have stayed as long as it stayed in power if they hadn't robbed everything from Eastern Europe all the way to the Berlin, well, all the all the way to the Elbe River in East Germany at the end of World War II. They moved so much stuff back to Russia that I think that kept them going through, you know, their recovery coming out in the 40s. It kept them going through the 50s. And I think it kept them going in the 60s until we you've seen kind of what happened there when they had their had to do the Russian great grain robbery, you know, in the early 70s. And then it took still another almost, what, 25, 30 years of rot to set in before they went down. You know, these huge ocean-going vessels, as I call it, even after you start to turn or shut the engines off, they still keep going in the same direction for a long time. And Putin's trying to, to redo how the world works, in my opinion. And it's going to have big implications for American agriculture. Exactly what? Don't know. But I think you want to be nimble on this thing, and I don't think you want to get tied in too tight any which way. Well, hey, good talking to everybody, to the smartest audience in agriculture. Thanks for listening.